0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Doug Show. My name is Doug Huntington, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about eight common questions about affiliate marketing. And even if you're not a beginner and you're more advanced, I know many of the listeners of this show are more advanced, you can still listen along and maybe think about questions that people have asked you or things that maybe I am getting wrong. Hopefully not completely wrong, but things that you maybe disagree with and want to add your opinion, would love to hear your feedback. And you could email me uh, after the show, feedback at Doug.show. So this episode was spawned by a friend of mine who he and I worked at the same company uh, way back early in my career. I was uh, great friends with him back in Atlanta. And then when I moved, like, you know, many folks, we didn't really keep in touch so well. And I don't think I've seen him since uh, we moved at all. And I have only talked to him a handful of times, but we see each other in social media occasionally, or I guess communicate via social media occasionally. And we've always been friendly. This guy has been a high performer, a very high performer in his corporate gig. And he also was, I guess, a little smarter than me, a little more, maybe not smarter, although he he probably is. He was more ambitious. That's the word I'm looking for. He change jobs a few times and if you're in the corporate world, you probably have seen people that change jobs every two to three years, something like that. They're moving around often and they will work somewhere, learn what they want to learn and then get the hell out of there and they go somewhere else. That is a fantastic way to earn more money because when you move from one company to another, you're more likely to get a larger pay bump. Now, if you stay at one company, your raises are probably going to suck, especially in the IT world, which is what I have most of my, well, basically all of my corporate experiences in the IT world. I'm sure some of the other uh, industries are a little bit different, but in IT, if you work at one place for a long time, your raises might be you know, better some years, but often you're fighting against inflation. And that's how it was for most of my raises, they were say one to two and a half percent, something like that, like barely keeping up with inflation. And on the extremely rare occasion that I was promoted, I got raises anywhere from, I think maybe like 7% to maybe 12 or 13% on like those extremely rare occasions of a, respectable raise where you're actually like earning a little bit more money but the one to two percent is you know practically a joke just because (laughs) from paycheck to paycheck you really couldn't tell much of a difference it's really just pennies very small amount so anyway if you if you quit and you go to another company you might get bigger raises and those were the the rare times when I actually well I only changed companies one time and I got a pretty decent raise, much higher. I think it was probably like 17% or something like that. And the whole point here is my friend, he moved companies several times. So he was at a consulting company and then moved to another consulting company, did really well, a lot more uh, like mobily upward than me. He was promoted and got to be a director. And he got out of consulting and actually worked, you know, in industry. So those would be, you know, non-consulting companies. And he was actually the client at that point and had consultants working for him, which is kind of cool. I've actually had a few friends do that and they really enjoy it sitting on the other side of the table and get to uh, mess around with the consultants and get them to do, you know, sometimes pointless activities. I mean, they, They don't frame it that way, but at the end of the day, that's what it turns out to be. Anyway, I didn't love consulting. Kind of interesting as a job out of school, especially when I didn't know really what the hell I was doing and very, very strange industry overall. Okay. So my friend called me because he has been laid off three times in the last six years, even though he's working for some of the best companies in the world. Now, I won't mention the specific companies or obviously not his name or anything like that, but he still lives in Atlanta. And if you go look at some of the big world-class companies that are based in Atlanta, those are some of the companies that he has worked for. So if you just think about that, some big companies based in Atlanta, which there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, big worldwide or national companies out of Atlanta. So he's worked at some of those places. He got laid off, even though he was a really a top performer. And you know, part of the issue might be his salary, right? I don't know what he earns or what he was earning, but because he changed jobs multiple times, he was probably sort of on the higher end of the salary range for any place that he worked. So all that to say... He has always kind of dabbled, and I I didn't know this, but he dabbled in affiliate marketing back in maybe 2007 or eight, which was when I was still in Atlanta and he and I were hanging out. And I think, you know, maybe he picked up the four-hour work week and did a little affiliate marketing. And I know he did a little drop shipping as well, just kind of testing the waters, but he never stuck with it because he was actually a good employee and worked really hard at his uh, day job. And he continues to do so. And I mean, I think one of my issues, and you could hear the disdain <laughs> in some of the comments that I was making before about working in consulting. And well, not only did I not love it, but I would sometimes just say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do that fucking shit. Like, are you, that, that's crazy. And really it was when they were encroaching on my time. And this particular instance what, that I'm thinking of, it happened a couple of times, but there was a, there was a company that I worked at and there was a lot of shift work. So I was asked to come in at, you know, four in the afternoon and work until midnight. It's rare that when I had like really late shifts, but a couple of times I had the, the overnight shift and it's it's really, it's tough, you know, it's tough to do. And I know some people have to do it and I would be part of the team and I would, I would work those crazy hours. But when they asked me to come in, I think it was like Christmas Eve unexpectedly. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. So you guys could find someone else. And I said, I just, I'm not going to do it. I already have plans and this is crazy. And they said, well, you're not going to get a good review from this project. I was like, well, I don't don't really care about that. I don't care what kind of review I get from this project. And hopefully none of you assholes will want to work with me anymore. So I don't have to be on your team. So anyway, That actually played out uh, exactly how I described it, (laughs) where I didn't have to work with them anymore. And I assume some of the other people actually respected the fact that I said no. That's just me thinking of myself. But anyway, my buddy called me. He's thinking, Hey, I want to get into affiliate marketing. I want to get started. He sent me over eight questions. I, he and I had a nice conversation and I thought, you know what? These are good questions that people do have. He also made me realize again, how you're not really secure in a corporate job. And I know we, we probably all know several people that have been laid off if we haven't been laid off ourselves at some point in time. And it's just one of those things that may feel secure on a W-2 job or some sort of corporate, corporate gig, but it, it could be volatile as well. Things could change. I mean, the companies that he worked for, they weren't, they weren't laying off tons of people. It was reorgs and other situations like that. So let's get into the questions here. Number one, what is a reasonable and conservative cash flow that a person can expect from affiliate marketing and a content website? So, a lot of this is around affiliate marketing, but really you could think about it as any of these content sites. So, often, and you should probably monetize with affiliate marketing and affiliate uh, promotion as well as display ads. So, number one, we have to give sort of a, a range and kind of a, a broad scope. So, I mean, really, if someone gets started and they don't know much, I would say probably within you know six months or so, they should be able to start earning about $100 per month or so. This is completely independent for me, like considering the niche, uh, other experience the person might have and all those other details. So, broad range. I mean, if you've created sites before and you happen to be a writer, you might be able to earn $1000 or $2000 per month in, you know, 6 to 8 months or something like that. If you have no experience and you're not a good writer and you don't have experience with websites at all, you might be at $20 per month after six months. So Mm -hmm. wide range, depending on your experience, anything related to the things that you're doing, that's going to help you obviously uh, very much because you won't have to go through the same learning curve. So even if you haven't Mm -hmm. written online before, but you happen to have like a a journalism background or maybe even creative writing and, and fiction or something like that, there's a good chance you'll be able to shortcut some of those uh, content related ideas. I didn't have a very strong background in writing. So I, you know, I had to work pretty hard to be able to write my own content early on. So reasonable cash flow. Uh, we're talking in the first year. I would say probably a, a thousand to $2,000 for most people a lot of the time. Now, When you look at a longer timeline, I would say it gets even more uh, volatile, a little bit more of a range. So one of the best pieces of data that I have is a student, uh, Christy, who's been on the show so many times. She started not knowing anything about affiliate marketing or content websites or anything like that. Your SEO, keyword research, she didn't know anything. However, she was a pretty good writer. Within, I think about four months, she was earning her. She hit her first hundred dollar month, and luckily, I've been working with Christy for about two and a half years, and she's earning roughly six to seven thousand dollars per month at the time that I'm recording this, which is well beyond any goal that she initially like thought she could reach. And she she maps some things out. I mean, I think some of her reach goals were in this range. So she's actually achieved her sort of pie in the sky sort of goal. And it took about two, two and a half years or so. That said, she progressed and, you know, we can, you can look back at the archives here and find all the interviews with Christy. But I interviewed her when she hit a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, 2000, 5000 on and on. And then this year here in 2021, I've been getting monthly updates from her as we're trying to double the revenue that she's earning. And the site just keeps growing. And she's been, I mean, she's put so much time into it, but she has a you know really awesome asset and she's branching out into different areas. So all that to say is there's really almost no upper end. I also know people and folks email me sometimes and want to stay off the radar. They don't blog. They have corporate jobs, but I know at least two people who are earning, one of them's earning about 30K per month, mostly from affiliate revenue, but also from display ads. And then I have another person who's earning about 50K a month from mostly display ads. And these folks didn't know anything about affiliate marketing ahead of time. They really just got started and they just kept putting in more time and they got better and better. So honestly, there's no upper end. One one thing that I'll say is a lot of times people will try to start multiple sites or like, ah, oh, this one hit $1,000. I think it's pretty much done. And the fact is, most sites never get anywhere close to their potential. They can grow so much larger and the effort that you put in to an individual site and the amount that you want to refine or, you know, sometimes people just put out a huge amount of content and they may have thousands of posts like four or 5,000 posts and they just keep publishing more and more and more. And through the sheer volume they hit these, you know, great levels of income. Next question, how much time is required to get it established? So I I sort of answered that implicitly before. So I would say roughly, you know, six months or a year. Now, when I first started, and I emphasize this to my buddy, when I first started in 2013, things were so much different. Things were a lot faster faster. Google allowed sites to rank more quickly, and if you added backlinks, let's say you got you know three or four backlinks, guest post or links other in another way, your rankings would potentially move in two, three, four days I mean it was fast you got a link and you could adjust the anchor text potentially like if you knew where the the link was being posted and and you maybe had a guest post and you could contact your your friend that was a blogger and say hey you know can you change the anchor text that would impact the rankings as well things have changed so much where you might get a lot of backlinks and really nothing changes for a few months so it's it's very different now the google sandbox whether you believe it you know explicitly or you just you know see sites that grow faster after they hit six months. I mean that's sort of the impact that we have. So six months, twelve months—that's really the the time that you have to spend getting it established. You'll get very little feedback, very little positive feedback to encourage you to continue on, and that is you know part of the the deal. It's part of these that system, but it's part of starting a brand new site. You're going to have to go through that period. There's some ways around it. You know, you can buy a site that, you know, maybe it's not doing that great in terms of traffic or earnings, but it's been around for a year or two and it's aged and there's some content on there and maybe it's not great, but you can improve it and add more. And maybe it has a few backlinks, but it's just not optimized in in any capacity. And someone has lost interest in it. Like that's a way to take a shortcut. You can buy a site that's already out there that's just not doing that great that someone is bored of. So you could also buy an age domain like from Otis, O-D-Y-S, one of the sponsors of the show, and that is potentially a way to shortcut things as well. Next question is how much time is required to maintain and expand the site? So that is really up to you. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the growth is either how much time you want to put into it or how much capital you have to invest. So if you're writing it all yourself, it might take a while. Some people can write, you know, a couple thousand words per day. And if they do that a few times a week, that's, I mean, that's quite a lot you know, you might not be able to do anything else or maybe you're, you're a really good writer and you, you can actually do that. And I know some people can write a lot more than that. And I know some people that struggle to get out 500 words a day if they are very busy or it's just not something that they're very skilled at. So it's really, it's really up to you. And of, of course, if you have a lot of money to invest and my, my friend, he does well. He has, you know, the, these great corporate high paying IT type jobs. So he potentially could invest quite a bit per month, just throwing out numbers. I mean, he could invest maybe $1,500, $2,000 per month in content and have a company do it for him, an agency like uh, niche website builders, for example, and it would be mostly hands-off. So obviously that costs a lot of money. You're buying convenience at that point and you're giving up a bit of the control, of course, you can go back and change the articles if you wanna edit a little harder or add your own spin on it. But at that point, it's either time or money. And you can continue to expand the site really as much as you want and publish more and more and more. Or once it gets to a certain point, you can pause and go back sort of in a maintenance mode and optimize the content Maybe you go back and you add FAQs to certain posts. Maybe you just use a tool like Market Muse and re-optimize some of the content based on you know data from tools. And there, there's a lot of tools like that that'll do it. Next, what affiliate brands and marketplaces do you recommend, Amazon or any others? So Amazon, definitely, I know there are There are people that don't want to work with Amazon at all, but I think it's a mistake to completely write them off. If you have, you know, moral reasons, that's uh, respectable, but there's people that purchase on Amazon all the time, especially like during COVID. I I know there's there's people that just, they would have a box delivered every day or multiple boxes per day. And if, if you're in a, you know, I live in the Denver area. There's a big like warehouse here and a lot of very large cities have those. So you can literally order stuff and get it in a few hours or 24 hours. So not everyone is in that situation, but we're kind of a hub. Like um, I'm sure there's a lot of other big cities that are hubs too. So you, you could just order stuff on Amazon so fast, low friction and even if the commission rates are lower, the volume makes up for it. You should definitely try and figure out what digital products you can promote. I've been talking more and more about that. So that is courses, software, primarily, I can't think of other digital things that you can get, but courses, software, other digital products in some capacity, and they usually exist for almost any niche. You might have to hunt around a little bit, but Usually, you can find something that is relevant. And the good part is, those usually have higher commission rates. And of course, it sort of diversifies your revenue. The other big thing is using display ads. So, a company like Ezoic or Christy uses Mediavine, for example. And there are, you know, a few others. The most basic would be AdSense, but typically the other networks are going to have, most of the time, they're going to have, well, Definitely better customer service just because Google AdSense, uh, Google is not known for their customer service. We'll just put it that way. And these other companies are potentially paying much higher uh, RPMs, it's revenue per thousand. So at that point, you may as well show some ads on your site. You're probably in a spot where you have at least 50% of your content is informational or you, you probably should do that. So at that point, there's no reason not to have the ads on there. Most people are used to it. I resisted for a long time. And one of my friends, Matt Jevanisi, he has a site that gets a lot of traffic. It's swim university. He earns a lot from it and he sells his own products, but from a, his principles tell him don't have and he ads, he doesn't want to interfere with the user experience and he is potentially most likely leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, which is, uh, you know, commendable in, in one way. And then it's also, it's like, why, why wouldn't you test it? And we we've debated before. So Matt knows how I feel at least test it. You could at least talk about it. So anyway, have display ads, work with Amazon, try to have digital products. If you have other uh, companies or other marketplaces that happen to compete with Amazon, or maybe Amazon doesn't co- like carry the product at all, then sure, work with those other affiliate programs. You may have the ability to work directly with companies. Most of the time, that's going to be better for you and better for the company because Amazon is not taking a piece of the the pie there. So if you know that you're selling a lot of a certain item, you should probably try to work directly with the company. And there's no, you know, there's no prescribed way to do this if they don't have a public facing affiliate program, but I would recommend going to the sales and marketing department, the marketing most likely, and See if they want to work with you. Again, if you are selling those products and you could show them, hey, I see that I'm selling X number of your products on Amazon. I see it in my reports and this page gets so much traffic. I'm ranking for these terms. There's no reason for them not to work with you. So it's, it's worth asking and checking out. Now, I did mention uh, Ezoic and I guess that's a good time to go ahead and thank them for their sponsorship. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsor Ezoic. Leap is a new product that they have. It's replacing the old sight speed accelerator and they're getting rid of the old subscription model that was with the old product. So now leap is free it's 100 free to ezoic monetization customers and basically it's a robust tool set that works perfectly with the ezoic cloud to deliver core web vital friendly ads that is a mouthful so i think i messed up on the cadence but you get the idea the thing is here leap is for core web vitals it's more than just another optimization tool. It's an entire tool set that eliminates the need for expensive plugins, technologies, and analytics. All right. let me say it again. It eliminates the need for those expensive plugins. I know a lot of people will push specific plugins. A lot of them have uh, really annual fees, but again, Leap is included if you're using the Ezoic monetization. And basically it makes it possible for all sites using Leap to pass the core web vitals. And the thing is, if you show ads on your site, it's probably going to load slower. But the thing is, core web vitals and Leap, they work together well here. So the Ezoic cloud works with Leap to deliver server-side ads along with the entire page via the new Ezoic Edge so that everything passes core web vitals. This feature is limited to sites integrated with the EZOic cloud, and it's not available anywhere else. But the thing is, Leap is awesome. They sponsor the show, EZOic's great to work with. I've been working with them for a few years. So if you are concerned, if you need help with your core web vitals, check out Leap, it could be the right thing for you to do. Next question is around the platform. So he asked, what type of site and platform do you recommend, a blog or anything else? So yeah, I would say a blog on WordPress is sort of the standard. There are so many tools and and plugins and other resources for working within WordPress. So it is the right way to go. He already had experience in WordPress, had a few websites and stuff, so that was not a big deal and pretty straightforward. Now, I know, actually WordPress is, seems like it's fairly straightforward to use, but I know from just looking at the bigger picture and some of the other things that you can do, WordPress is actually pretty tough to learn. It's, nah, that, that's no, that's not exactly right. It's simple enough to learn, but it can get complicated fast, right? So if you start putting in a bunch of plugins, you may all of a sudden realize that you have some conflicts and things are screwed up. So it's easy to get started with WordPress, but I feel like there's probably like simpler solutions. And I mean, there's obviously many competitors out there. Your, uh, what is it? Squarespace. So I think that one's probably a little bit easier, but obviously, you give up something, right? So if you're, if it's a little easier to use, you might not have as much flexibility in certain areas, or it might not be expandable in the same ways that WordPress is. So that said, I, I don't use anything else. I just use WordPress. I just, I don't, I don't know. Once, once I find something that works, I'm usually, like anyone, resistant to change. And the one thing I got slightly distracted on about a year ago, I started looking at, flat file systems for websites. So it's really just HTML and there's several of them out there. So it doesn't use a database and you just have a flat file system. So it's very easy to understand and see where the information and data is coming from. And it looked, you know, mostly straightforward. I mean, you just edit files in a text editor. You potentially can use some sort of, uh, you know, WYSIWYG type thing. But everything lives, the HTML files, images, just in your folders and your directories. And you essentially could work uh, very much either in like an FTP client or directly on the server if you wanted to, you know, just work with a command line. Getting very technical, and showing my, my nerdiness. But there was something nice about the simplicity and not having not having any plugins not needing to use anything else and just having a lightning fast site because it's just straight html and you're not doing anything weird or anything too fancy turns out you can get a pretty nice implementation of wordpress with uh, some minimalistic thoughts and a, a small theme and get essentially the same thing and it still loads pretty fast if you keep a lean website and you don't you know use a bloated theme and crappy plugins. So anyway, yeah, I can find a way to turn a simple answer into a very long one. So use, use WordPress. Yeah. The other thing, cause he asked about you know, platform overall, one of his ideas for a niche is something that he's actually interested in. And he's part of that community I thought would be perfect for, of course, a blog with a written word, but I love podcasting and I like YouTube as well. And both of those would be perfect for the niche that he thought of. And I would venture that most niches, most industries, different topic areas, there's probably a pretty big audience out there. And there's probably a lot of YouTube channels and podcasts, or at least a couple that are out there already. So the audience is, is proven. You can see, uh, especially on YouTube, like how many views are they getting? How many subscribers do these channels have? And that'll give you a gauge on whether or not it is uh, you know, potentially a really huge market or saturated or something like that. So you can expand. Of course, you don't wanna to expand too soon. And that actually leads us to the next question. Is it okay to hyper niche and how small is too small. So really, and actually I'll throw in the next question, how do you estimate the size of a niche? So I never, I never tried to estimate like how big's this market? Is it like 6 million people in the U S or anything like that? I think from, you know, some business plans or people that tell you how to write business plans they may ask you to think about how big the market is which is a fine exercise Uh, there's nothing wrong with that i think if you're building a brick and mortar business and you're thinking about a community and your customers and clients and people that you're going to work with are in your geographic location that could be really important so if you have a very niche a very small kind of uh Business and it's brick and mortar, you may need to be in a larger city or it's just not going to work. Now, the magic, of course, with the internet is our audience can be worldwide. Anyone can access the information, whether it's YouTube or a podcast or a blog or whatever. So, this, the actual size of the niche doesn't concern me too much. You probably see where this is going since I do like keyword research. We can at least get some estimates on the number of people that are searching for certain topics each month through keyword research and the, you know, tons of tools that are out there that you can use to just see how much people are searching for the search phrases. So I, I think that most of the time, if you can find a handful of keywords, say, you know, five or six that get, A few hundred searches per month, you're probably in great shape. That is going to be enough. If you could find that many, you're going to be able to find more. So if your initial keyword research provides you with, you know, five to 10 or 15 keywords that get a few hundred searches per month, or even uh, maybe a couple of those are 1500 or 2000, you'll find long tail keywords associated with those higher search volume terms and you most likely will have enough people searching each month to have a website that is gonna earn thousands of dollars per month. Sure, if it's a really cheap product, if you're looking at you know cheap pencils that cost pennies for each one and there's not many other products in that area, sure, you may have a hard time earning thousands of dollars but if you're looking at things that cost, you know, $50 or more or maybe most of the items are about $50 and some of them are 15 if they're really cheap and economy style and then there's a, a couple premium options that are $150 most likely you'll be able to earn a lot more money than you expect the other thing to think about is the tools that provide us with the Search volumes are just estimates and you're probably going to get more traffic than you expect. Even if you, even if you're going after a keyword that's maybe search for 10 or 15 times a month, you're probably going to get a lot more traffic. And we've heard example after example on this podcast and, you know, other podcasts out there, zero search volume keywords perform wonderfully. Now, I've seen something kind of unusual on one of my sites. It's a newer site. Basically, I'm getting the most traffic on a specific URL that is shocking. It's it's very weird. I don't look like I'm ranking for anything on that page if you analyze the site with hrefs or SEMrush. It's not ranking for any of the the main terms on that page. It's ranking for all the long tail keywords, but it's getting more than half of the traffic on my site. So hopefully some of the other pages will start getting more traffic, but it's absolutely amazing because if you go and analyze my site, you would not know that that traffic you wouldn't know that that page gets the most traffic on the site. And the only way that I see it is Google analytics and the search console. Like I can see that those pages are pulling in all the traffic, but it's just a weird uh, sort of keyword where people almost always type it in a different way. So kind of strange, but it's the first time that I've actually noticed it. It's certainly happened before on sites that I've had, but this is the first time where it was standing out so much where I specifically noticed it. So is it okay to hyper niche? I think that's fine. Now, one cautionary tale, I actually actually get questions on YouTube pretty often where people say, Oh, I, I want to do a micro niche site, blah, blah, blah. And they use that word micro because I guess they heard someone else use it, but I think it's okay to focus hyper-focus I think it's okay to have like a micro focus at first, but you should always brand your website so that you could expand a little bit. If you hyper focus and you go after, uh, you know, wireless mouse and you only cover wireless mice, you are really painting yourself in a corner and you don't have the ability to expand. So brand your site a little more broadly and think about, computer accessories. So then you can have any sort of computer accessory, not just wireless mice. And that's a way that you can do it so that you can hyper-focus yet have the ability to grow in the future. And the next question is, is it okay to rely on organic search traffic only, or are there any other recommended sources or go for paid traffic? So I like organic search traffic from Google. That is generally how I operate. Now, I did mention earlier, uh, maybe part of your platform is YouTube. So YouTube is a search engine as well, and that would be a viable route. Now, as far as paid traffic, I don't recommend paid traffic just because the margins are so it's so tight, right? The commissions are low from Amazon. So it'll be really hard for you to make that work because you have to pay for ads, right? So even the only way that it might work is if you're an expert at running ads and you have a lot of money to spend so that you have data. So one of the things with running ads is you have to spend money to test things and see what works. And then you can optimize around the metrics that you're getting. You can see exactly which ads work well, and then you can scale that out and, and spend a lot of money. And this is, you know, the concept where people are saying, yeah, it's just, it's printing money. I can spend, you know, $1 on ads and I earn $2 back. It's really hard to do that. It is certainly possible, and I think it might be a little bit harder to do these days, but it is possible. Typically, when you hear people talk about that, they're selling digital products, or it's a specific product that they are selling. It is usually not based on affiliate marketing. The math just doesn't work out. Now, there are other organic search engines out there as well, or I guess search engines, we'll just say that. And I would say Pinterest is probably the other big one. I was chatting with someone in a very competitive industry not too long ago, and I was shocked to hear that a lot of the traffic was from Pinterest. And I I actually am still a little surprised. And I have no interest in Pinterest and I've dabbled a little bit in the past. I've never had it work out for me, but I just never, I was never able to figure it out. I think I I actually followed multiple different courses, never fucking worked for me. I'm not sure why. I know a lot of, there's survivorship bias, bias, I'm sure, because the people that were telling me, hey, you could do so well on Pinterest, they have Pinterest courses and, you know, I would expect them to be able to do well, but for me, I'm not a consumer of Pinterest, I had low interest, I tried to work on it, I hired people that were interested in Pinterest, had them go through some courses and still never quite worked out. Things were a little bit, uh, I mean, I could see a little bit of growth, but it was not anywhere close to break even and I, I probably invested several thousand dollars testing Pinterest on a few different sites and just never never worked out for me. That said, if you're into Pinterest, it could be a great way to get traffic that is not from Google. So overall that question is uh, probably not going to be able to pay for ads and make it work out in a profitable way, at least not for most affiliate programs. There's a you know rare chance if you're selling digital products, that the margins are high enough and the commissions are high enough that you would be able to run ads and promote those products and earn money. Probably you'll have to check with that company, whoever is uh, selling the product and you're an affiliate for, you'll have to check if you're allowed to run ads. Sometimes there are rules around that. And the reason why is those companies might be running ads themselves. So they don't want you to compete directly with the ads that they are running. They uh, they want to earn from that so they don't have to pay the commission, right? At that point, you're messing up their math. So again, I think those other search engines could be viable. Pinterest, YouTube, Google is just the the market leader by a very huge margins. So I don't worry about any of the other search engines. If you have questions like this, especially beginner type questions, let me know. We maybe can go deeper on some of these. I think I covered a lot in this one. And if you are more experienced and you stuck around, do shoot me an email. If you have any uh, opinions on this, whether you agree or disagree, would love to hear from you. Feedback at doug.show. And I get all those emails, so I appreciate it if you send one in. If you haven't signed up for the email list, you can go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email, and I'll send you all my systems and templates. And one uh, set of templates that I don't talk about enough, maybe I'll start promoting it more, is for hiring content writers, or just writers in general. So... I I like to hire people from Upwork directly. There's a little more overhead. There's a little more admin, but you end up with cheaper content for uh, really the same quality that you might get from some agencies. So the agencies really, I mean, they're hiring writers as well and they have to do all the project management and all the coordination and communication with you, and then they have to communicate with the writers. So there's this overhead, and that overhead comes at a cost, and it's obviously super convenient, and I've actually been using a lot of agencies for that, but if you want to save a little bit of money, hiring writers directly is a a great way to do it. So uh, you can get all those templates, including... uh, what you would post, right? So the job listing, you can also get templates for the specific content and some of the onboarding messages as well. So that's some of the stuff that you would get if you sign up for the email list. All right. I think that's it for today. I'm going to get out of here. Have a good one. We'll catch on the next episode.